0: Hello, you found dogmatically imperfect, condensed imperfection, a condensed version of season one episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, Discarded Doctrines of Jesus, Part A. Uh, The title of our inaugural session is Discarded Doctrines of Jesus. And again, I'm going to say some things that make you bristle, but here's the true challenge to you, the listener. Now I'm simply posing a different perspective that you're going to see is actually derived from the same Bible, and as I and as I present this pre- perspective, man, I'm having a tongue tie thing here. Um, look, when I show this perspective to you, if your reaction to this perspective is rooted in violence, it's an antichrist reaction. And what do I mean by violence? Well, well, God's going to get you, or you know, you're saying these things that are against this or against that, and boy, you better look out because. You know, it's just not going to be good for you. That's anti-Christ. And how can I say this? Every time violence was proposed to Jesus, he rejected the thought. Even in response to violence against him, up to and including his arrest, arraignment, custody, beating, and ultimately the state and religious sanction uh, sanctioning of his murder. Right? The response of god was and is to forgive to not repay with violence and the truth is we've all been dogmatically imperfect at some point in our lives this is an important point to understand the greatest theological minds throughout history can't agree on fundamental dogmatic points of their different and shared beliefs so this show is me sharing my experience and my goal is to take you as far as you can see, and when you get there, you'll be able to see further. Because when life happens and your dogma does not reconcile with your reality, something has got to change. About 10 years ago, I started teaching my kids how to identify where something originates, when they listen to preaching and teaching, or just life in general. If, if it comes from a place of steal, kill, destroy, we know where that comes from. And if it falls under the life more abundantly category, look, we know where that comes from, right? And for those of you who are not familiar with this simple system, you can find it right in your Bible, uh, the book of John chapter 10, verse 10, right? And it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, right? And Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, so anytime that we see anything steal, kill, destroy, we know where that comes from, right? Anything we, t- Anytime we see anything that falls under life more abundantly, we know where that comes from, okay? So when I present this different perspective, you have to decide if your response is inclined to fall under the heading of steal, kill, destroy, or the Christ-centered nature of life and that more abundantly. We know that Jesus didn't preach the same thing as Moses, right? And at the same time, we tend to mix New Testament teachings with the teachings of Jesus. And part of the reason for this lies in the location of of the red letters. Obviously, it's not included with the Old Testament writings, but we tend to look at Jesus as living in New Testament times because his words are found in the New Testament. But guess what? Jesus lived his life during Old Testament times and taught people living with Old Testament ideology, tradition, and theology, right? Starting in Acts, we start to see how early believers took the first steps of living out this new covenant, and later on, uh, we're going to take a look at how they did that, but for now, uh, I want to try to give you a visual of a timeline, right, and, and maybe I could bring up a graphic. So we, we have this timeline here, and um, we have the Old Testament on this side, and then we get to about halfway, we'll just say halfway, right? And right here, we have where the New Testament begins. But if we could zoom in right here, there's this little section, right? There's this little section of scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus lived, right? And we, we see it on this side of the spectrum, because it's located with the, the books of the New Testament. But the life of Christ was actually on this side, Right? It was actually on this side. So, so oh, look at that. I moved my thing. So if we zoom back out, right, we see, we just see it as a little blip, right? In this big old timeline. There's just this little blip, right? But when you zoom in like this, you see that this actually falls on the Old Testament side of the timeline. So as a result, we've been taught to look at the teaching of Jesus in light of the New Testament doctrine. And this is really a fundamental misstep because much of our inherited New Testament doctrine doctrine, disregards some very interesting things found in this little section right here, found in the red letters. That is really, it's before we ever heard of any of this, right? Nobody knew anything about this side before. They're living right here and all they know is what's here, okay? And that's a very important thing that we're going to consider as we move forward. Now, I would never say that the New Testament writers were intentionally trying to mislead you and me. I would say that they did their best to articulate the extent of their understanding from the understanding that they already had, right? And when we look at the entirety of the red letters in the Gospels, we know that Jesus did not preach Moses, right? We see the New Testament writers recounting events, trying to make sense from a New Testament understanding. But here's a big, big thing to notice. We also find that Jesus did not preach preach grace either, I'm going to pause for a second and let, and let that sink in. We know that Jesus didn't preach Moses, right? We know that. And we're, we've come to accept that and we're okay with that. But guess what? He didn't preach Paul or grace either. And the first time this came to my attention, it blew my mind and messed with me big time because it changes specifically how we look at eternal life and literally everything else surrounding the subject. I mean, it's it's not a small thing when you realize what really happened, and we're going to take a look at a series of red letter scriptures, and the thing and things will unfold in a way so you can't really unsee them if you know what I mean. When we look at these things, like man, I never saw that before, but now that I've read it, uh, I can't unsee it. So anyway, strap on your seatbelt and let's turn to a couple scriptures and see what the red letters say. You know, see what these discarded doctrines of Jesus say about salvation. And eternal life. Uh, Matthew is where we're going to start. Yeah, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to to start in verse 7. And it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's turn our next scripture to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to be in verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's an interesting concept, right? What happens if I don't? Okay, well, verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Huh, okay. Well, what else do we have? What else do we have? Turn one more chapter over. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, okay. That's really interesting. So when you t- put all this together, what should we do, right? What, is, what if you had to summarize everything, Jesus? What would you say? Okay. Well, let's look at uh, verse number twelve. Okay, S- chapter seven. We just drop down ten verses to verse twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, Jesus, that sounds great. Um, So what happens if we follow your advice here, right? Um, Sounds like a great plan, Jesus. What's going to happen if we uh, take your advice and we listen to what you say? Okay, it's a great question. Let's drop down to verse 24 in chapter 7. Okay, let me find it right here. Therefore, verse 24, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, notice none of these are belief system-based. Okay? I just want to point that out. Jesus didn't say things like, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. These are not faith-based instructions. They are action-based instructions, right? But not just any type of actions, right? They're not actions towards God. Right. They don't say things like if you uh, give the right sacrifice or if you worship the right way or if you uh, don't do things on a certain day, if you don't you know, honor certain days uh, on my behalf. Right. It has nothing like that. It's nothing like that. OK, these are not actions towards God. Now, let's go a little further. Of course, we've heard all these things before, but we never heard them as a standalone teaching from the Son of God, right? These teachings have been supplemental to and supplanted by the idea that believing correctly and confessing is the only criteria. Now, just for a minute, I want you to imagine making the doctrine of the Son of God supplemental to anyone rather than making the doctrine of the apostles supplemental to the teachings of Jesus. I mean, <laughs> think about it, kind of think about it. I guess we don't have to imagine, do we? This is kind of exactly what we've done. Okay, so what does the next one say? All right, turn with me to John chapter five, and we're gonna start in verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me Has eternal life. Hmm. Okay. And will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. (sighs) Notice it says, believes him, not believes in him, but hears and believes him. Believes what? Well, we just read it, right? Have mercy to obtain mercy, forgive to be forgiven, not judged to be not judged, right? To consider how you would want someone to treat you and treat them that way. And what happens to the wise man who builds his house on the rock, Jesus? Let's find out. Drop down to verse uh, 28. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Let it sink in for a moment, right? For those who have done good, right? It doesn't say who believed right or believed wrong. It says, to those who have done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And someone said, I've been going to church all my life. I never heard anything like this. I know, me neither. And I went to all the leadership classes and all the conferences and the ministry school. And then I taught in church. I never heard it either. But it's right here in the crimson letters, right? And you know what's funny? That's what they said in Jesus' day, too. They were amazed, just like us. Oh, man, I never heard anything like that in my life. This guy is not a Pharisee or anything. And he comes up here and he, and he talks with authority. Never heard anything about like that in my entire life. They were amazed, just like us. And boy, did it make the religious community really, really mad. So I got to ask you are you getting mad? Steal, kill, destroy? Right? Where, where are you falling at? What, what side of the. John 10.10, are you falling on, right? I don't know. Or are you here in Christ for the very first time, life more abundantly? Jesus preaches that the kingdom of God is at hand. You thought you had it right, Pharisees. You thought it was about following every rule correctly and being in the right group. But God wrapped himself in a robe of flesh to come down and let humanity know that God doesn't look at the ability of man man to keep your religious rules. Jesus had how you treat your fellow man as the benchmark. And as you hold others accountable, that's how you're going to be held accountable. And the crimson letters tell us, and that's no small thing. Eternal life hangs in the balance, right? Jesus taught, and I know this upsets the apple cart, but when you read the red letters, you plainly see that humanity is judged not by not by their belief, but by their works. And if this If this is actually the default criteria for eternal life for Israel, right, God's chosen people, you can bet it is the default criteria for all of humanity. And I know this goes against our dogma, right? Check yourself again. Are you you getting those violent thoughts, right, or (laughs) rooted, violent, rooted thoughts, right? You're trying to condemn me and what I'm saying? Or are you trying to hear what Christ has been saying the whole time? I know against... It goes against our dogma. But watch again. Notice everything is action-based, not belief-based. Well, do we see any more evidence for this doctrine in the red letters? I know this is messing with you. Trust me. I know this is messing with me. It took me a long time to come to terms with this idea. But let's take a look. Remember, the people never heard from Jesus the idea of grace by faith. They never heard it. So turn with me to uh, Luke chapter... Nineteen Matthew Mark Luke Luke nineteen starting in verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. T- tax coll- collector, excuse me. I know I can talk. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Geez, I wonder how the sheriff of Nottingham got so wealthy, huh? And the sheriff, I, I mean Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd, right? So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Oh, man, I got to turn two pages here. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I got to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly now enter all the religious experts, right? All the religious people, they saw this and they began to mutter, man, this guy, look at this guy, claims to be a a preacher, teacher, he keeps saying he's the son of God, but he's going over to this sinner's house. Everybody knows that righteous people don't hang out with sinners. It just doesn't work that way. There's no way this guy's telling the truth, right? He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. So, Jesus is having dinner with Zacchaeus and his family. And what do you suppose Jesus was teaching him? Perhaps how to treat his fellow man? Maybe. Well, let's see how Zacchaeus responds. We're in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to, the Lord, uh, said, said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay him back four times the amount. Zacchaeus commits to... To what? To taking action. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation, it's the same Greek word that we use for getting saved, right? It's the same word. Has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what what was lost. And Jesus didn't say the sinner's prayer, did he? Where does it say in here that Jesus said, Uh, Lord, come into my heart. It doesn't say anything like that, right? He's not relying on grace by faith. Jesus told him the same thing he'd been preaching, right? Forgive to be forgiven. Judge not to be judged. In fact, he said, consider this, Zach. Uh, If the sheriff of Nottingham had been using his position of power to overtax you just so he could keep the extra, what do you think you'd want him to do to make up for it? Well, you know, and here's Zacchaeus. He's like, well, Jesus, you know, if somebody was fleecing me that way, man, I would want them to pay me back four times what they cheated me out of. Right. And for good measure, I'd make them give half of whatever they had left over, give it to the poor. And Jesus said, when you stand before God, you're going to be judged the same way you judge others. And with the measure you use, it's going to be measured to you. And Zac- Zacchaeus said, you know what? I hear what you're saying, and I totally get it. It makes sense to me, and I'm going to do just that. No amount of gold is worth treating another human that way. I can see that now, right? And I'm really thankful, Jesus, that you came to my house to show me the way God looks at me. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And I don't know about you, I said that, I get a little goosey, right? like J-Lo when she was on uh, American Idol, and she said, oh, I get the gooseys." That's what happens to me when I read something like that. And I remember way back, you know, years ago, wondering how the entire household of Zacchaeus could be saved from his actions. Preachers would talk about the blessing of the righteous man extends a thousand generations, but they never addressed the fact that Jesus hadn't shed any blood yet for Zacchaeus to believe in. Not only that, you know, the rest of his house, would have had to believe for themselves, right? I can't believe for my mom. I can't believe for my kids. Right? i got to believe for myself. They have to believe for themselves, right? Zacchaeus can't believe for them. But now it makes perfect perfect sense. Zacchaeus will show his house with his example, how you treat your fellow man is how God's going to measure your actions. It's a lesson that is powerful and not soon forgotten when it's put on full display. And you know what's interesting there's some of you listening that are going to agree with the black and white letters that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But you're going to dispute the crimson letters that say Zacchaeus was saved by the actions he took. Isn't that amazing? Well, let's get a little more direct into the point, okay? Let's dig a little deeper and see if anyone ever asked Jesus, Emmanuel, you know, God with us, exactly how one might achieve the most important thing of all, eternal life. Did anyone ever ask the Son of God directly? So glad you asked. We've got two different accounts, Mark chapter 10, uh, 17 through 27, and Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Here's your question, right? And Jesus said uh, in the next verse, Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Hmm, interesting. Well, the guy said, well, which ones? Right? And Jesus is like, come on, man. The, the commandments, you know, the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, right? Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy says, All these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, "Right. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And once you've done all that, then come follow me. Jesus didn't tell him to believe in his heart and confess with his mouth. Jesus didn't tell him he was going to die for his sins. Jesus told him to follow the commandments. And he he didn't even reference the first two, right? The vertical commandments. Jesus quoted him the commandments that dealt with how he treated others. The guy said he'd been doing that his whole life. And I can already hear you. Uh, But we have to drop everything and follow him. But if you read it again, the instruction is to sell what he has and give to others. Consider others. Then he would not simply have eternal life. He would store up treasure in heaven, right? Then he said, follow me. Once you've done all this, come hang out with me. Now, see, it's, it's, it's right here, right? I've, I've shown you uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? We've looked at Zacchaeus. Now we've looked at the, the rich young ruler. And we're seeing the same thing. Theme. Let's see if anyone else ever asked him the all-important question of eternal life. This time, we're going to be in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law. What is it? Who does that sound like? It sounds like a Pharisee or somebody um, in the religious community, right? An expert in the law, okay? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do? Here's your question again, right? What must I do? To inherit eternal life, and Jesus is like, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." And and Jesus didn't say, "You got it wrong, sorry, buddy." You gotta you gotta say the prayer, you gotta you know, you gotta have the faith, and you ha- Jesus didn't do that, right? What did he say? <clears throat> verse twenty eight. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And we could end the story right there, but religious experts love to reference every jot and tittle, right? Uh, yeah, but what about this? And you know, this guy was no different. Let's look at verse twenty nine. Okay, uh, but he wanted to justify himself, the guy. So this expert wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" Of course, Jesus made it clear that the them was his neighbor, right? It's not enough to treat other people in our group the right way, not just the us, right? But the Samaritan is your neighbor, right? The Mormon, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Native American, right? The LGBTQ. These are your neighbor. Now, I'm going to close with one more passage, and I know I've given you a lot to chew on. It's not its not actually, a, it's very simple. It's a big thing to chew on, right? That's what I mean by a lot. And it was very difficult to see how drastically different my dogma was compared to what Jesus taught. It was very, very hard to have that <laughs> kind of just show up in my face. And I'm asking you for a moment Put yourself in the shoes of the people Jesus was talking to. They never heard about grace by faith. These people only knew Moses. They never heard about the conditional ifs, right? If you confess, if you believe in your heart. They never heard those things. One more time, let's review. And we're going to look at our final scripture of this session. And forgive and you'll be forgiven. Judge. To not be judged, show mercy to receive mercy. Right? None of these ha- things have anything to do with eternal life by grace. Jesus hasn't even hinted at the cross yet. He never preached grace through faith. When we read, when we read, "Whoever believes in me," what we're reading is a clever addition of of a small two-letter word, "in." Right? Whosoever believes in me, okay. You can easily read it this way: Whosoever believes me will not perish, but have Everlasting life, right? If you believe what I'm saying, right? And said it another way, whoever does not disregard my instruction, or like it says in Matthew 7, right? Whoever hears my words and does what I say is like a wise man who builds on the rock. Let's turn to our final passage for today. Uh, Matthew 25. And we are starting... In verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He's going to sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be, gather, will be gathered before Him, and when this says nations, it means it doesn't mean like you know United States and you know uh, you know Great Britain and and Guatemala and you know it doesn't mean nations that way. It means all people of the earth. Um, it means all ethnos. It means all of humanity who has ever, uh, from the four corners of the earth, which the earth is doesn't have any corners, so it means everywhere, right? Um, all nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people on one, uh, uh, sep- separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, right? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you uh, since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. You did something. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. You took action. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. You treated me like you would want to be treated. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. You considered others. I was sick, and you looked after me. Right? I was in prison. You came to visit me. Then the righteous, well, there's none righteous, no, not one, but Jesus apparently is talking to the righteous here. Whichever one there is not them of. And uh, Jesus answered the righteous. Uh, Then the righteous will answer him, rather. Right? He calls them righteous and says, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And here is the concept that I haven't really laid out yet or or introduced, but it's, it's a central point of this new mindset where I'm at. In Genesis, and I've mentioned it a couple times, right? We are all humanity. All of humanity is created in the image and likeness of God. And this passage here, and we saw throughout this whole session today, Jesus kept saying, look, treat others the way you would want to be treated. So he's saying, recognize God in the other person. You Recognize God in yourself, right? The part of you that is that is the image and likeness of God. Recognize that in the other person and treat them accordingly. And Jesus even says it here, when you treat others this way, I don't have to worry about, you know, did I, did I have the little word tassels in front of my face, right? I don't have to worry about, did I do the right sacrifice? I don't have to worry about, did I worship on the right day or did I say the prayer in the right way or did I... those things are not what God looks at. God doesn't have to look at those things and how would you treat me, right? God sees how you treat other people who are made in His image and His likeness and says, now I know how you would treat me. If you treated them that way, you would treat me this way, right? In fact, it says, you did treat me this way. Because just like, uh, to those of you who have kids, your kids are a part of you. They're not different people, right? They are connected to you. And in the same way, we are connected to God and we are a part of who God is. So when I treat you the way I would want to be treated, when I treat you with respect and with dignity, I'm treating a part of God with respect and dignity. When I disrespect or when I disregard somebody's humanity, I'm disregarding their God likeness. And there's never an excuse to do that. There's never an excuse to do that. And then he's going to say, uh, uh, starting here down where am i at, verse 41, right? Continuing on. Then he's going to say to those on his left, the left side, right? Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. You didn't do it, right? I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in, Right? I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison. I was sick and you didn't look after me. And they're going to answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, prison and we didn't help you? We never saw you there. We never saw you there, God, and we didn't help you. We never refused to help you, God. God, we did everything right. We honored everything. We tithed the proper way. We prayed the proper way. We never missed church we did everything right. We never saw you that way. If I'd have seen you that way, God, of course I would have helped you. I don't I don't see how you can say I would never help you because I, I helped you. At every, and by the way, God, when were you ever sick to be able to help you? Give me a break. Oh, like God's hungry. Yeah, we never saw you hungry, God, of course. And he's going to reply. I tell you the truth. And you did not do it for the least of these. You did not do it for me. Then they're going to go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. Notice again, the crimson letters say nothing about their belief system. Not one word. All of humanity is judged by their actions towards their fellow man. Why? Why? again, because we're all made in the image and likeness of God. And when you do something to the least of these, you do it unto God. And actions speak louder than your professions. How you treat others is the fruit that you're known by. And let me tell you why this is important. As a Christian, I used to see somebody in a turban and I'd think, man, that person's going straight to hell. And I used to rely, just like the Pharisees, on the idea of consecration and separating myself from those who might taint my faith and jeopardize my salvation, right? Bad company corrupts good character and, you know, all that stuff. And the combination of those ideas would keep me from recognizing the Imago day in others. It didn't matter if a man was born in the United Arab Emirates, right? It didn't matter if he was a kind, faithful man to his family and considerate to others. He was my Samaritan. He's not part of the right us. Righteous, right? The right us. But when my eyes opened to these discarded doctrines of Jesus Christ and stopped letting Moses whisper in one ear and Paul whisper in the other ear, when I began to measure their ideas next to the example of Jesus, these things began to make sense. Right, They brought the woman caught in adultery thinking Jesus was going to do what they read about with David and Bathsheba's, Bathsheba's baby, right? Jesus is going to kill her. But Jesus didn't condemn. He forgave. He gave before. Before what? Before he was even asked. And when they grilled him for hanging out with sinners, he said, The sick need a doctor. They're sin sick, and they need to hear what I'm saying. Right? We, don't, we don't condemn somebody because they have cancer. When they're sick, we treat them to try to restore them and try to heal them, right? And when the disciples got mad because the, the people in that town didn't want to let them stay at their house, right? They're walking through, walking through. How dare you not let us stay with you? Don't you know that the very Son of God walks with us and we are His disciples? And we've got important work work that God has ordained us to do and you don't want to let us stay with you? Jesus, I know what we do with people like this. Let's call down fire. Let's call down fire and teach these people that they should honor God. But Jesus rebuked him. right? He said, guys, you don't know what spirit you're of. I'm nothing like that. And the disciples were just that, learners, because they were open to learning. The religious community plotted and conspired to kill God. Why? Because they elevated what was written above the living word standing in front of them and showing every single day the love that God has for all of humanity. And they tore their clothes, right? Called him a blasphemer and, and finally succeeded in killing God. And here's what cinches it for me. My dad was a pastor. He passed about a year and a half ago, but in his 40 years of ministry, he displayed the same love that Jesus did. He never rejected someone because of their faults. He grieved when people didn't respect the Imago Dei in others, or even in themselves, right? And it was painful to observe. But not one time did he ever disown somebody. He always treated others the way God treated him. He knows that God forgave him, and he treated others that same way. And he was quick to forgive. You know why? Because he remembered his own mistakes. He knew what it was like to be loved unconditionally and forgiven. So he loved to the best of his ability and forgave every time. When he passed, there was no malice in his heart. And here's the most comforting thought. And I shared this at my dad's memorial. How much more does God love us than my dad ever could? So now I'm free from looking at others and believing that most people don't believe right, which condemns them to hell, right? I don't believe that anymore. I can see the image and likeness of God in people that I used to believe were godless, This was step one in a journey that has taken me to places I would have scoffed at just a couple years ago, like some of you are scoffing at me right now and scoffing at these thoughts. But with every step I take, the farther I can see. And I know you're gonna have questions. Let me encourage you, write them down, okay? Write them down. Our next session is gonna deal with a very important topic That'll help you digest what you heard today. Remember, treat others, see in others, the original goodness that God sees in you. Thanks so much. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website, originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabut at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to the real night terror for our theme music. See you next time.